0: You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. This is going to be another unique episode in Sermon Snippets. Who would have thought that this year would go the direction that it has gone and that we'd be in the place that we're in. But I can tell you this for sure. Nothing is the same as it was before October 7th, the first Saturday of this month, here at the end of 2023. And we cannot ignore that fact, that life has changed and so many things are different now. It's really a different world, and what's happening now is... History. It will make, it is making history right now. So we cannot ignore how the Bible applies to that, especially because we know that God has known all along the events that would happen this year. God has always known what is happening today, what will happen tomorrow, and for eternity, God knows what will take place. And he's in control of all this. So even though right now we're living in historic times, times that if the world lasts long enough, future generations will look back on, will read in history books if history is still being taught. Um, there will be books written about this. There will be documentaries done about the time that we're living in now, if not movies made about these events. This is a very historic time, so it's an unusual time, and this is going to be another slightly unusual episode than what we normally do in sermon snippets, but do not worry, we will address the book of Daniel and look at plenty of scripture But today, instead of going verse by verse again through the book of Daniel, we just finished chapter 6. So we would be scheduled to start into chapter 7 today. But at the end of last episode, we addressed um, the war in Israel right now. And in between last week and this week, I uploaded a video on YouTube that kind of goes a little bit more in depth about just some of what happened that started this war and some potential American involvement. I will say at this point, I don't see how America can in, can avoid getting involved in this war. I, d- I can't picture a scenario in which America does not go to war right now. So I will be surprised if we do not end up at war because of what's going on right now. But that's more in my YouTube video. So today in the podcast, we're just going to look at some parallels between the book of Daniel, what we've already studied up until now, and maybe get a little preview of what's coming, and how that parallels the hostage situation in Gaza right now. Because remember, Daniel himself was in captivity. And just thinking about the book of Daniel, in light of the current events happening right now, it is amazing. It gives such an interesting, fresh perspective and light into what happened in the book of Daniel. And don't get me wrong, there are some some differences between the book of Daniel and what we see happening right now in the Middle East, and we're going to talk about those things. So we'll start out by addressing scripture, consider it kind of a review of the beginning of Daniel. We'll kind of remember what we've looked at throughout this season um, in the book of Daniel. And then Later on in the podcast today, we're going to bring you up to date on some of the current escalations in the Middle East. And I say up to date, I mean up to basically the present time, up to things that have been breaking today. Because even as I speak right now, I am about 79 notifications and countless YouTube videos behind the actual current time. Okay, but we'll get within basically some of the breaking news that has happened today and just give you an overview, some of the really important things. So starting with the book of Daniel, if you think all the way back to the first chapter, remember that Daniel was taken captive when Israel so long ago was invaded by Assyria led by Nebuchadnezzar at the time. And he was fresh on the scene of world leadership, Nebuchadnezzar was. And we read in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, which we will read again right now. Let me just move my microphone off to the side. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. You'll remember this as we read it. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz the master of the eunuchs, That he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the learning of the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, And of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So we see right away, I I hope you can kind of see some of the parallels between Daniel's life and the events that happened in his life and what we're seeing unfold right now in Israel again. And some of those would be that Daniel was conquered by a cruel army. Let's not forget Assyria was brutal. This is an ancient empire, an ancient army. They didn't have international law back then. It was uh, cruelty, and this was a very uh, brutal um, siege that they did in Jerusalem. You can read about these events in history. Very uh, tragic and traumatic time in Israel's history. And so this cruel army not only conquered Southern Israel, because the North had already been conquered at that point. but they, they also took captive. And we read about Daniel's group specifically was part of the royal seed that had been taken captive. So you have a cruel nation coming against Israel, taking captive Israelites in ancient times. very parallel to what we see today. But let me give you some of the paradoxes, some of the differences between Daniel's story and what we're seeing play out in history right now because there are some really key differences first off Daniel was taken to a stable empire a world power and he was taken there to become a leader and you read here what we just read he was they were fed with the king's food for 3 years sent through a training process they were trying to make them skillful teaching them the language Um, educating them, training them to lead so they could stand in the king's court, so they could really be representatives of this Babylonian empire. And it was an empire. It was an established, recognized world power. Now, in contrast, Hamas today is a terrorist organization. It's not a stable world power, very unstable, doesn't do anything for its... Uh, citizens, anything, doesn't do anything close to this. The citizens in Gaza are not eating like the Hamas leaders are. They're not driving the same cars that the Hamas leaders are. Um, And they're not there. These Israelites that have been uh, captured, who have been kidnapped and taken to Gaza, are not there to become leaders um, in a stable world government. Not even close. They're there. To be propaganda, to uh, basically be casualties, to be ammunition and leverage that Hamas can use against Israel, and to be tortured. They're there. Now, I, I recognize that Assyria was brutal, but Hamas is just as brutal and is treating its captives far worse than what we read in the book of Daniel. So huge difference there. But at the same time, it's so interesting that Daniel was a captive and just to think of him in that light. Um, and then, goodness, all throughout the book of Daniel, what we've read, that theme that's in the title of each of our episodes this season, that the Most High ruleth. Daniel chapter 4.17 says the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Daniel 4.25, the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. Daniel 4.32, the third time in that same chapter, the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. Daniel 5.21 says, the most high God ruleth in the kingdom of men. And there's other verses throughout the book of Daniel that point to God's sovereignty, his control. Daniel chapter 7 talks about that. We're going to get into that as we, as we go. And really what's coming up in Daniel chapter 7 is some spectacular visions that God gives Daniel, showing him the kingdoms to come. And Daniel had already had extensive experience with these kingdoms, some of these kingdoms. And God uses him to show what the future kingdoms of the world will look like. So very interesting to show the whole time that God is in control. Now, God doesn't cause the brutality and the the tragedy. God doesn't cause the human suffering. But God is in control of human events, meaning that we shouldn't have fear in our souls. Yes, there can be a sense of alertness and alarm to what we see happening around us. And we should be vigilant, but we should not be fearful. If we are following God, we can rest assured that God is in control. And that should really be the all-encompassing takeaway from the book of Daniel. And that should be the theme in our lives, that we realize we rest in God's control. What else do we see in Daniel that can be compared to current events right now? Well, I'll give you another list here. All throughout the book of Daniel. So let me give you a bunch of examples here. Daniel chapter 1, verses 5 through 21. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 6, which we just finished, and that's just where I'll stop right now. But it teaches us the parallel that was true then, that's still true now, is that God fights for his people. God has promised that the Jews will never be destroyed. And you say well wh- where do we see that in each of those chapters? Well, Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends were spared from eating the king's meat. Now, the keeper of the the eunuchs who was in in charge of these captives, he feared getting his head chopped off if he didn't obey Nebuchadnezzar's command, but God spared them from eating the king's meat, and from any consequence from them being killed because they wanted to do what was right. And Daniel chapter 2, if you read verses 5 through 47, again, Daniel and his friends were saved from annihilation when the Chaldeans could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell them the dream. He expected them to interpret it for him. And they, of course, couldn't because they were relying on tricks and um, they could not interpret the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar said he was going to kill all the king's wise men and all of his counselors, and that included Daniel and his friends. But God saved them from that annihilation because God gave Daniel the interpretation of the king's dream. Then in chapter 3, Daniel's friends were saved from the fiery furnace. Actually, they were saved through the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 5, Daniel was saved from destruction when the Medes invaded and all the Babylonians were wiped out. Think about that. When he interprets the writing on the wall that says you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting and he he interprets that and he predicts that the Medes and the Persians are coming to take over Babylon, it, it makes perfect sense that everyone would have been wiped out with the Babylonians. But though the entire... Babylonian empire faded from the scene and was wiped out. Daniel remains and he continues serving God. God saved him. And I believe that's just another testament to the fact that God has always protected his people. We see that again in Daniel chapter six, verses one through 20, 28, where Daniel was saved from the wicked schemes of evil men who were jealous of his position. And boy, there's so much you could say that parallels that today. I think that is really the underlying problem. It was pointed out on Fox News that uh, really what's going on here is um, basically Marxism put into practice. It's the whole classic struggle between the haves and the have-nots, the oppressors and the oppressed, and Israel— Along with all other Western nations, is automatically put in the category of the oppressor, okay? The haves, because they they're prosperous, they have a free economy, and so they are automatically the bad guys. And because of that, the poor Palestinians and uh, you know it's the same thing that's been played out through history: the have-nots, the oppressed, they are supposed to rise up against their oppressors. It's just Marxism, and really, you can kind of see. Kind of a parallel of that in Daniel chapter 6 when Daniel was spared from the schemes of these evil men who were really just jealous of his position. Um, But the point here, again, the takeaway, the parallel is that God has always protected his people. Daniel and his friends were serving God, which is, you could say that's a difference between now and then because today the Jewish people have largely turned away from God because they rejected Christ, who God sent. And that is just the sad reality. But there is no reason to not support Israel. We should actually understand, when we read the Bible, we should understand that the Jewish nation as a whole will not accept Christ until the tribulation. That's just prophecy. That's what will happen. But that fact, the fact that the Jews will not, as a whole, turn to Christ until the tribulation, that should in no way diminish our support for Israel. Because the ultimate parallel between then and now, between the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, going all the way back to Genesis and now, is that Israel will outlive all her enemies. God promised that to his people. That regardless of whether they accept him or not, is not contingent upon um, God taking care of them. God didn't promise that he would only take care of them if they followed him or if they believed him. And that's called an unconditional covenant. Israel will not be destroyed, period. Now, there are blessings that have conditions attached to them. God promised in the Old Testament blessing of the land and the, the early and latter rain if they obeyed him. And there were curses if they disobeyed him. But the unconditional covenant of God with his people, the Jews, is that their enemies will be destroyed and they will not be. Um, Amir, one of the news sources um, that you can follow the war currently, he said Hamas cannot dictate what happens to Israel. The Bible has already dictated it in the book of Daniel. And I thought that that's exactly what we've been looking at. God says, and we're going to get into this when we get into chapter 7. God says the kingdoms that are coming. God says that Israel will outlast all their enemies. And he predicts exactly what will take place with Israel, how God will protect Israel. We know what's coming. We know what, what time it is. And we know that Hamas has no control over what happens to Israel. Neither does Hezbollah, neither does Iran, neither does Russia. No one has control over what happens to Israel. Because God already called what's going to happen to Israel. Here's a clip, actually, from Amir, talking along these lines.
1: To the Jewish people, there is a promise. And the promise is not that you will be in the New Jerusalem just because you're Jews. No. The promise is as long as the moon and the stars and the sun are there in this world... You will not be wiped away, you will still be a nation before me. As humans who live in this world, on this planet, right now, no one can destroy Israel. And I always tell Hamas or Hezbollah or the Ayatollahs, make weapons that destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars. Because only when they will be gone, Israel will no longer be a nation before God. You're wasting your energy.
0: And another clip that I wanted to share here is from Douglas Murray. And he, he says this perfectly. The idea that God fights for his people and that Israel will outlive all of their enemies.
2: Because what we know, what he didn't know then, what we know now, is that the Jewish people have seen off every single one of their enemies for millennia. They have outlived every single one of the enemies who've wished to destroy them from Pharaoh to Hitler, and they will see this enemy off as well. And I say that with absolute certainty.
0: So now getting to the update when it comes to the current war in the middle East, which obviously we don't know really what this will end up being called. It's possible. I think my brother was the first one to suggest this, that it could be called the Sukkot war because that was a holiday that it happened on similar to the Yom Kippur War. Um, So that's a possibility. But whatever this war ends up being called, we have to understand foundationally that this struggle is not really about land. It's not about occupation or borders. It's not even about a Palestinian state because they basically had that as of two weeks ago. So it's not about any of those things. This war is about genocide.
2: Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world, when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to
0: exist. That clip that you just heard was one of the short clips done by PragerU and they do a great job of explaining what's really happening right now, what the Palestinian problem is really about. A contributor to Unpacked Today, which, by the way, is one of the historical resources that has helped me the most in my understanding of the nuances of Israel, but one of their contributors said this in a short that he uploaded on YouTube in the wake of the attack, it's
1: horrifying the situation is horrifying and hamas is reporting that this was as a result of the desecration of the temple mount over sukkot which literally just means that Jews went up there to pray and it was a violation of their beliefs and as a result this is what transpired that is not true this has and always will be about one thing murdering jews that's it this was about murdering jews
0: so it's clear that hamas is about genocide and that's that's these people that israel is dealing with And the people of Israel right now are grieving. They, as I think someone from Fox News said, they are reeling. They are bleeding, literally bleeding. They are crying. They are so deeply hurt. Um, Recently, the IDF posted this short here that you can listen to.
1: Let's play a game. Put a finger down if you've had rockets launched at your home. Put a finger down if your social media is flooded with obituaries. Put a finger down if you've texted your friends terrified that it's the last message they'll see. Put a finger down if someone you know is missing, kidnapped, or slaughtered by Hamas terrorists. Put a finger down if you haven't been the same since October 7th and probably never will be. I and nine million other Israelis have just put all five fingers down. Have you?
0: So the point is, we cannot forget what this war was initially about. We cannot forget who Hamas is and by extension, who the Palestinians are that voted for Hamas. This is the response to the backlash and the criticism of Israel's military action right now. We have to remember who Hamas is, and what started this war. Remember that they started it. They gave no warnings. They didn't avoid c- civilian casualties. They didn't follow international law. That's what started this war. Here's a clip from Douglas uh, Murray, again, about proportionality already in died, war. Many of them children.
1: Is that a reasonable, proportionate, and moral response by Israel?
2: There is some deep perversion in Britain whenever Israel is involved in a conflict, and it is the word you just used, proportion, proportionate proportionality. Only Britain is really obsessed with this. I've heard it for the last few days incessantly. Proportionality in conflict rarely exists, but if we were to decide that we should have this fetish about proportionality, then that would mean that in retaliation for what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday, Israel should try to locate a music festival in Gaza, for instance, and good luck with that, should try to find a music festival in Gaza and rape precisely the number of women that Hamas raped on Saturday, kill precisely the number of young people that Hamas killed on Saturday. They should find a town... Uh, of exactly the same size as a town like Sterot, where I've been many times myself, and make sure they go to door to door and kill precisely the correct number of babies that Hamas killed in Sterot on Saturday, and shoot in the head precisely the same number of old age pensioners as were shot in Sterot on Saturday, just to choose one town. Proportionality in conflict is a joke, and it's a very strange British concept which we've had, that only the Israelis in a conflict when they are attacked are expected to have precisely the proportionate response.
0: And there's a post that I wanted to read to you, kind of just continuing this update on the war. It's by uh, Shayel Ben Ephraim. And he says, Hamas says, We must behead babies, rape more women. And Israel's response is, Excuse me, chaps, would you be kind enough to evacuate within a day? We unfortunately have been put on the spot and must retaliate. And the world's response is, both sides are the same. And actually, you could argue that the world's response is that Israel is wrong and Hamas is right. So that's the world's response. But that's why Hamas is so brutal, is because of who they are. Because the fact that this war is about genocide. And that is why they can justify and celebrate their heinous crimes against humanity. That's why you cannot reason with them. You cannot talk to to them about peace because they don't come from that perspective. That's not who they are. You cannot reason with people who commit genocide and celebrate it.
1: Have you ever wondered what happens to humanitarian aid in Gaza? UNICEF and the EU have spent over 2 million euros building water pipes all throughout Gaza. Hamas digs them up out of the ground and turns the material into rockets that they fire at Israel. Thousands of tons of construction materials meant for building homes went to Hamas's underground tunnel network that they have used to carry out terrorist attacks against Israel and now used to transport weapons around Gaza. And just this week, Hamas stole fuel and medical equipment from UNRWA that should have been distributed to Gazan civilians during the war. When will the world call out Hamas's crimes against humanity, against their own people?
0: Here's a clip from Megyn Kelly talking about who these people really are and why you cannot reason with them.
1: That's who Hamas is. Got it? Are we clear? That's the bad guys. Those guys. Those are the guys you want us to negotiate with, right? Okay. Israel, America as its closest ally, we're supposed to sit down and have a little chat with the terrorists about how it's bad to take somebody else's baby It's bad to hoist him on top of your rifle after you slit the throat of his brother and shot his parents and let them all burn to death in their safe shelter. That's bad. We should talk about you stopping that. This is all such a farce as we try to pretend these are like reasonable people who, you know, we'll we'll chat about a two-state solution and, you know, about de-escalation. Sure. Sure.
0: And I just want to say here that the Jews, who are the most humane nation in the world, who have developed some of the most sophisticated weapons and have the fourth most powerful military in the world for defense. I want to say that again. They've developed these weapons and they have this strong military, both of those things, for defense. That's never happened in human history. No one develops one of the most robust militaries in the world for defense. Only the Jews have done that. And they are the targets of these terrorists. The contrast between Israel and the people that live around them could not be more extreme. You have one nation that is the only Jewish state in the world surrounded by 22 Arab nations. You have one nation who is a peace-loving, humanitarian-giving, defensive superpower. And then across the imaginary line, that's the border, there are elected terrorist militia states. These states have elected terrorists to lead them because they most closely align with their values. And not only are these terrorist militia states, but they also vow to take every Jewish life. This paradox goes all the way down to their personalities. You have the fun, loving, and easygoing Jews in Israel surrounded by some of the most aggressive, heartless, and sadistically violent people in the world. And what has been so telling during this whole process is watching the world's reaction. Megyn Kelly summed it up, perfectly.
1: I've been shocked at how many people who I previously respected have added themselves as either know-nothings or anti-Semites since last Saturday. And some of them I considered friends, and I'm really kind of wrestling with what they've done. Like, a, I guess it's like a seething anti-Semitism that I didn't know was there. I don't know how my Jewish friends are dealing with this. I've heard from so many of my Jewish friends and my Jewish audience members who are like reeling. They're reeling right now because they've had this horrible, horrible thing happen to Israel. And in the wake of it, they have so many in their own country just brushing it off. It's like, oh, yeah, Hamas had to go military. They had to go military, uh, you know, because of the, the failures of Israeli policy in the Middle East, Eliana. Can you imagine?
0: These are the only two options. The people who do not support Israel either do not know anything about history, about this region about the religions at play, about reality here, or they have just been silent about their deep-seated hatred of the Jewish people and they're just extreme anti-Semitic haters. But that has to be the two options. And now it's come out, the people that are anti-Semitic or the people who just know nothing about history, and who have just jumped on this bandwagon of some rhetoric, and it's been very telling. And just the anti-Semitism and the justification of violence, all the riots, has been very telling. So just to wrap up here, the war with Israel, the war that Israel is in right now, it might take months or even years, they have said. And let's be clear here, no one wanted this, except for Hamas and some of the Iranian proxies that also probably were planning to attack as well. But no person who loves freedom wanted this war, but it is necessary. And perhaps it was best stated by this female IDF soldier.
3: Yesterday, press people came to Gaza Strip, to our place, and one of them asked me, if I'm happy to be in a war. <laughs> and I was laughing and I told her that she need to change the question a little bit. Of course I'm not happy to be in a war. I have my own life. I have my family, my friends. I like to travel the world. I like to play volleyball on the beach and I just want you to take me back, you know? But I do happy to stand by my country and to save life and to be a combat and to be with Israel and to stop this terrorism that we had here in Israel from Hamas. So yes, I'm happy to stand by my country and to protect my country and my people and my family.
0: So be encouraged. God fights for Israel. He always has and he always will. And... Our only reaction, our only responsibility should be to stand with Israel and whatever they decide they need to do to win this war. It is Israel's right. It is their duty to protect their people. And God calls upon each and every one of us to support Israel no matter what. And ultimately, we know from Daniel, and we're going to see as we continue through the book of Daniel, that God will destroy all of Israel's enemies someday forever. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.